Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So, Judah, he's kind of like this prostitute picture that we have in Proverbs 30, verse 20. Proverbs 30, verse 20, where it says, such is the way of an adulterous woman. She eateth, and she does this. She wipes her mouth and says, I've done no wickedness. See that, you know, that wiping the mouth, it reminds us of Judah and the rest of the brothers. What were they doing after they threw Joseph in the pit? Anybody remember? They were eating. They were eating bread. In the chapter before, they just thrown Joseph in the pit. He's screaming for mercy, and they're eating. And so we can see Judah, he's eating bread. And I wish he would keep quiet. He's disturbing our lunch. You know, the screams of Joseph. And we see him, you know, wiping his mouth and saying, I, we've not, we haven't done anything wrong. There's no wickedness. The last thought that Judah has is that God judged his sons for wickedness. And Judas is seen really when we consider, and this is what we want to really kind of think about tonight. That's why I title this message is Joseph and Judah. And we want to contrast Joseph and Judah. See, in this chapter, we see in verse 2 how Judah went out looking for sin, and he found her in verse 2. You know, Judah saw their daughter. He took her and went in unto her. In the next chapter, we're going to see Potiphar's wife, went out looking for sin, and she found him. His name was Joseph. In the next chapter, verse seven and eight, his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, lie with me. But he refused. And then just like Judah took a Canaanite, we read in uh, Grab the Canaanite, in the next chapter, it says about Potiphar's wife, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me, and he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. So, in Judah's case, we see Judah looking for sin, sees his victim, Canaanite woman, grabs her, commits fornication with her. While in contrast, down in Egypt, his brother Joseph, he's the victim, seen by Potiphar's wife. She grabs him to commit adultery with him, and Joseph leaves his coat and runs to keep himself pure. This contrast is very important in the book of Genesis. It's the contrast between Judah and Joseph. Joseph represents the Lord Jesus Christ. We've just been singing about him. One of the things that happened at his birth, Christmas time, was the angel came and said to Mary in Luke 135, Luke 135, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. When he spoke of himself in John 14:30, John 14:30. He said, the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me, no sin in me, no beachhead for him in here, in me, 
nothing for him to resonate with in me, no sin. As a high priest, he's described in Hebrews 7.26, Hebrews 7.26, that he is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. That's the high priest. Pilate, as judgment in John 18.38, John 18.38 says, I find no fault in him as a suffering servant. He's described in Isaiah 53.9, Isaiah 53.9, he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. As the Lamb of God, as the Lamb of God, 1 Peter 1.19, a lamb without blemish and without spot. And as the one who took our sins away, 1 John 3.5, 1 John 3.5, he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. From the point of view of the thief on the cross, think about it parallel to him, he was Luke 23.41, Luke 23.41. This man had done nothing amiss. From the point of view of the centurion, think of the centurion looking up at him. He says, Luke 23, 47, 23, 47, certainly this was a righteous man. This is Joseph. This is Joseph. Joseph is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph is a type of the sinless one. That's why Joseph is so important in the book of Genesis, because Joseph is a type of the sinless Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Wonderful Joseph is. Judah, he's important in the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis, Judah, he's contrasted with Joseph. Joseph, the pure one who resists sin, therefore the type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Judah, the opposite. Judah is the sinful one. He goes out looking for sin, and he finds her. That makes Judah a perfect type of Israel, the Jewish people that the Messiah come from. How are they described? In Isaiah chapter one, verse two, Here's how the description goes. God says, hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth. The Lord has spoken. I've nourished and brought up children. That's the Jewish people, that's Israel. I've nourished and brought up children. They've rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner. The ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider. Oh, sinful nation. People laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They've forsaken the Lord. They for, provoked the Holy One of Israel to anger. They're gone away backward. Why should you be stricken anymore? You'll revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint from the sole of the foot even to the head. There's no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is sinless. He's typified by Joseph, but he comes from a sinful people. He comes from the people typified by Judah. But Judah, praise God, is not always going to remain this way. We're going to see a great transformation, great repentance. He's going to lead the rest of his brothers in repentance, and that's also going to, seen, going to be seen. Isaiah's description, same chapter 1, of the Jewish people, where God says, Come now, know you, the sinful nation. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That is going to be a coming day for the Jewish people, for their restoration. Hey, that's a good name. It's a good name for a mission. Remind me about that later. That's going to happen in Zechariah 13.1. In that day, there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanness. The fountain's going to open up there. Any sinners? Anybody unclean? Come on in. Come in. There's the fountain for you. So these two types, these two types that we have here in Genesis, Joseph, 
a type of the Lord Jesus, Judah, a type of the people the Lord Jesus would come from, are very important to keep in mind when you're reading the book of Genesis. And from what we can see about Judah and what we can see about Joseph, if you were God, who would you choose to be the tribe that the Son of God should come through into the world? Would you choose Joseph or Judah? Would you choose upright, honest, morally pure, loyal, God-trusting Joseph? Or would you choose sadistic, selfish, lustful, in all the words, Judah to bring the Messiah in? Well, you know, for us, if we were God, there's no questions, obvious, right? We choose Joseph. But God's thoughts are not our thoughts. They're not our thoughts. Psalm 78, verse 67, is so striking when you think about that choice. Psalm 78, verse 67, because it says, moreover, God, moreover, he refused the tabernacle of Joseph and chose not the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah. A Mount Zion, which he loved. I mean, you read that, and you, you want to take God's hand and says, no, God, you got it wrong. Not Judah. You mean Joseph. You must have heard wrong. You mean Joseph. <laughs> you don't mean Judah. You mean Joseph, right, God? And God says, no. Anyway, no, I mean, we feel like Jonah. You know, Jonah, when God told Jonah, you go down to Nineveh, and you bring in the message so they can be safe from their sins. And we see Jonah, he's saying to God, no, God, not Nineveh. You don't want to save Nineveh. They're too wicked and sinful. You must have heard wrong, you know. I won't be a part of that. And when God did save Nineveh, Jonah was angry about it because Jonah could not handle that choice that God should send the message of salvation to Nineveh. Same happened with Ananias. Ananias, he protested when God said, Saul, in Acts 9.13, Acts 9.13. Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard by many of this man, you know, how much evil he hath done to thy saints in Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, go thy way. He's a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles, can be apostle of Gentiles, and kings and children of Israel. I'll show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, Ananias had a problem with that. He had a problem with God. He wants to, he wants to, again, no, Lord, no, no. Now, Lord, how about Stephen? I mean, look at him. He's upright. He's not wicked. He's loyal. He's a really faithful man. How about him? Don't you think he'd be a better apostle to the Gentiles? And God chose Saul. See, this leads us to understand something, that why God refused Joseph and chose Judah over Joseph why? Because of Romans 5.20. Romans 5.20. Where sin abounded, oh, we got a lot of sin abounding in Judah. There's no lack of sin with Judah. Okay. Where sin abounded, grace doth much more abound. Grace, what's grace? Wonderful grace of Jesus, right? Reaching the most defiled. God is magnified and he's glorified when he shows his amazing grace that saved a wretch like Judah. And he purified Judah. And that brings, that brought Great glory to God. Now we understand why God chose Judah. And he said that in Psalm, again, that's Psalm 68. He said he refused the tabernacle of Joseph and chose not the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah, the Mount Zion, which he loved. That's the reason. He loved Judah. God so loved Judah. 
So why did God choose to send the gospel to us? Just because he loved us, not because there's anything good in us. Yeah. And we're glad, now we're really glad. Oh God, that's really good. Please choose Judah, because that means there's hope for me. And now we come back to Judah, and he's really in this state of darkness. He can't figure out why his two sons died. Can't understand, why come his two sons died? He's not seeking the Lord. Keep that in mind, Judah's not seeking the Lord. Because if he had been seeking the Lord, Proverbs 28.5 says, evil men understand not judgment, but they that seek the Lord understand all things. So in his darkness, Judah's trying his best to understand, how come my two sons died? Now he rules God out, that's not an issue. And all of a sudden this light goes on. He says, I got it. I know what the problem is. And you see it in verse 11. Then said Judah to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow at thy father's house till she live, be grown. And then he said, now look at it like this. As per adventure, he die also, as his brethren did. Tamar went. The outwardly, Judah is telling Tamar, you wait for Sheila to grow up before you marry him. But the key to understanding is what happening is when he says, for it said, lest peradventure he die also. Judah's saying, hey, both my sons, I know what the common denominator is. They're married to the same woman. She's life-threatening to be married to. <laughs> I'm not gonna give her to Sheila. I only got one left. So Judah has now deceived and tricked Tamar into thinking that she's gonna marry Sheila when in reality, Judah's just getting rid of Tamar. She's getting rid of her so that she wouldn't cause the death of his last son. Judah never intended for Tamar to marry Sheila. He was just trying to get rid of Tamar. Now in verse 12, we see another tragedy that strikes. In the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted, went up into his sheep shears to Timnath, he and his friend Hiram the Adelamite. Now Judah finds himself a widower. And Judah now grows closer to his best buddy there, Hira. And we can imagine how Judah is spending a lot of time now with Hira. It reminds me of my Filipino friend, Pastor Mike Johnson, who called to tell me that he and his family and friend are coming to spend a week with me after Christmas. Why? Because Mike's wife figures that I must be lonely. So what's the remedy? Five Filipinos for a week. <laughs> that was going to happen. So I told Mike, I said, would you tell her? I'm not lonely. I'm not lonely. My friends are all irritated by how much I call them on the phone, but I'm not lonely. Irritated friends? Yes. Me lonely? No. Anyway, it doesn't matter. He's coming. Anyway, we see that Judah here, he's comforted. Goes with his friend Hira to the sheep shears, which, by the way, now shows Judah's got livestock, so Judah's not a pauper. Jews, they aren't paupers. Now, we come back to Tamar, who Judah has thought he's gotten rid of in her house. And no, in verse 13, it says, it was told Tamar, saying, Behold, thy father-in-law goeth up to Timnath to shear his sheep. She put her widow's garment off from her, covered her with a veil, wrapped herself, sat in an open place, which is, by the way, to Timnath, for she saw that Sheila was grown, was not given to him to wife. So Tamar has figured out that Judah has deceived me. Judah has tricked me. He never intended to give me to Sheila. So she now understands that Judah has just conveniently gotten rid of her in her father's house. Now, Tamar starts her own plotting, and she knows Judah really well. And she knows that Judah has no control over his sexual passion. So she decides, hey, one good trick deserves another. 
One good deception deserves another. So she's going to deceive Judah back. So she plots, and she dresses like a prostitute, and she sits in an open place to catch Judah, which wasn't hard. And it's interesting that the practice of prostitutes, from this passage others, is to sit in an open place. That's the picture that we have, Proverbs 7, Proverbs 9. Men, just know Proverbs 7 and 9. It's very important. Tattoo it on your hand. Proverbs 7, don't do that. I'm just joking. Proverbs 7 and 9. Proverbs 7 and 9 both describe the adulterous woman. Proverbs 7, 10. Behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot, subtle of heart. Same word for the devil, tricking Adam and Eve. She is loud and stubborn, her feet not abiding on her house. Now she without, now in the streets, lieth in wait at every corner. She's everywhere. So she caught him and kissed him and with an impudent face said unto him and so forth. Then it goes down, verse 21, it explains what happened. With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. He goeth after her straightway as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of stocks, till a dart strike through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare, and knoweth not that it is for his life. Now that's the Proverbs 7 description. Proverbs 9 describes 9.14. She sitteth at the door of her house on the seat in the high places of the city. She's very visible. To call passengers who go right on their ways, Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Stolen waters are sweet, bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he knoweth not that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of hell. Three characteristics we see from both Proverbs 7 and Proverbs 9. First, immoral women are very open. There's no shame, there's no guilt about what they're doing. They're feeling they're just very justified. Verse 12 of Proverbs 7, she lieth in wait at every corner. Proverbs 9, 14, on the seat in the high places of the city. This is what Tamar's doing here. Verse 14, she sat in an open place. Second, immoral women hate men. They want to destroy men. They want to destroy them. They use their wares to aggressively go after them. Verse 13, Proverbs 7, 13, 7, 13, she caught him and kissed him, for Proverbs 7.21. With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of lips, she forced him, Proverbs 9.15, to call passengers who go right on their way. That's what we see here with Tamar. Tamar hated Judah for how he deceived her and condemned her to a life of widowhood. In verse 14, for she saw that Sheila was grown and she was not given him to wife. Third, men are deceived. They don't realize the damage that's being done to them. Proverbs 7, 22, he goeth after her straight away as an ox goeth to the slaughter, or as a fool goeth to the correction of the stocks. By the way, the word slaughter is again, shakat, that's destruction. Till a dart strike through his liver as a bird hates as a snare, knoweth not for his first life. Proverbs 9, 18, he knoweth not. The dead are there. Her guests are in the depths of hell. This is the case with Judah. Verse 15, when Judah saw her, he thought her to be a harlot because she had covered her face. Now, again, we see Judah's besetting sin. There it is, verse 15. When Judah saw her, he thought her to be a harlot because she covered her face. When it says, I mean, this is so striking. It says, he saw her, and the same verse, it says, she covered her face. So what did he see in verse 15? Because she covered her face. He couldn't see her face. But it says he saw her. He didn't know. He didn't care. What he saw, he has the first Peter 2.14 eyes. 1 Peter 2.14 eyes. What are the 1 Peter 2.14 eyes? Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls. 
So Judah has eyes full of adultery as he sees this woman, and he's only got one thought in his mind. When he saw her, he thought her to be an harlot. Now, Judah now propositions her in verse 16. He turned up to her, by the way, and said, Go to, I pray thee, let me come in unto thee. For he knew not that it was his daughter-in-law. She said, What wilt thou give me, that thou mayest come in unto me? Judah does what we are told. He does this. He says, he doesn't know. This is his daughter-in-law. I don't know. if She probably disguised her voice. I don't know. Anyway, he's not thinking. It's like Alice yeah, commercials. If you have loss of vision, have trouble hearing, stop, you know. Judah should stop. Anyway, he didn't know that she was his daughter-in-law, but whoever she was, he knew she wasn't his wife. So he knew that much. And so we see this negotiation and this agreement that goes on in verse 16. What wilt thou give me, thou mayest come unto me? And she said, and he said, I will send thee a kid. So Judah is negotiating, and he's negotiated a pretty low price, a young goat. But his lust have such a hold on him, he's actually to prepare to pay much more. Because when she hesitates and says, oh, I'll take that signet bracelet and staff. Oh, take it out. Take it. Because Judah is caught. She's in control now. And Tamar knows this would be the case. And Judah is described by Proverbs 6.26. Proverbs 6.26. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Tamar has hunted for Judah. She has hunted him down. And she's now reduced him to a piece of bread. And he's willing to give anything to satisfy his lust. Proverbs 29.3, Proverbs 29.3, He that keepeth company with harlots spendeth his substance. Luke 15.30, about the prodigal son, as soon as thy son was come, he hath devoured thy living with harlots. Now, the agreement's been made, and we stand back, and we're just sitting there, and we look at the agreement. Mm, okay. You know this is an exchange here, right? And we say, a kid? A young goat? Is that all? Just a kid? Is that all her purity's worth, a young goat? Is that all her honor and dignity is worth, just a goat? Is, is she really willing to give up her peace with God for a young goat? Is she really willing to give up her favor with God for just a young goat? Is she really willing to become the servant of sexual sins for just a young goat? Is she really willing to give up her hope for heaven? For just a young goat, that's amazing. It's amazing for us. We walk into a bar. Well, I hope you're going to walk into a bar. But anyways, you get to see in a bar, there's a woman sitting at the bar. Is that all her peace with God is worth? A drink? People say, oh, it's just sex. It's nothing. It's not, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 6.17, 6.17, he that's joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God? You're not your own. So what we're looking at here in verses 16 and 17 is an exchange. This is an exchange. What shall a woman or a man give in exchange for their soul? A young goat? You know, in, in Mark 8, 36, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What shall it profit a man if he gain that sexual pleasure and lose his soul in the process? Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would help us to 
Take what you've written down for us in this chapter, Lord, and apply it to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.